One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. I hope everybody's doing I hope everybody had a great Halloween night. You spent time with friends. You trick-or-treated. You got dressed up. You did whatever you do. But I also hope you're ready for an action-packed Wednesday episode of the Air Taurus Pod. So much going on. I don't even know how we're going to fit it all in. We're going to open... Chaos in college football. Dabo going back and forth with his fans on his radio show. That was crazy. It was ugly. We're going to discuss all that. We will also talk Connor Stallions. Was he on the sideline dressed as a Central Michigan coach when Central Michigan played Michigan State? We'll talk a little bit about uh, the college football playoff rankings release on Tuesday. And we will wrap with a little bit of college hoops. College hoops starts next week, and it is coming fast. Louisville lost on Monday night to a D2. We'll discuss that. Cooper flag commits to Duke. We'll hit on some of those charity exhibitions that I probably should have talked about on Monday. Again, college hoops is coming. Can't get here fast enough. But with that said, today is all about college football to lead the show. Let's not waste any more time and let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, bluntly, I'll tell you this, guys and girls, about two, two and a half, three weeks ago. I said, if you like the craziness of college football, not the on the field stuff, not the, the Saturday stuff, the Sunday through Thursday gossip, we call it in Spanish chisme. It's it's the gossip. It's the rumor. It's the innuendo. It's the message boards. I said about two weeks ago, I said mid-October to mid-December is when all the chaos happens. It's when fan bases, you know, teams start losing. So fans are mad. Coaches are mad, whatever. And we got a perfect example of exactly that on Monday night. Did you see what happened on Dabo Sweeney's coach's show when he had a really intense back and forth beat with him and a fan named Tyler from Spartanburg, okay? So Tyler from Spartanburg calls in. Give you a little backstory here, but it's one of these coaches' shows. We, we talk about them all the time. That was where Mark Stoops made his NIL comments a few weeks ago. But it's a coach's show. Fans call in. Clearly, Clemson is reeling. They're four and four. Three losses already in the ACC, just not living up to the standard that they've set. And so I bring it up because Tyler from Spartanburg calls in and basically just rips Dabo to shreds. Well, you know, the 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 the, the coordinator hires have not been good enough. Uh, the team isn't good enough. You're four and four. And then he raps with a, a humdinger of all humdingers. He basically says, what are we paying you eleven and a half million dollars for to go four and four? So he said that, and then Dabo responded. Dabo let him finish. I actually thought Dabo weirdly sort of handled himself okay while it was all going on, but then he responded. It was a lengthy, like, five-minute response, so I'm not going to get into all of it, but here is some of what Dabo said. He said, I've listened to enough of you. You're part of the problem. That is part of the problem. It's people like you. The expectation is greater than the appreciation. The fun used to be in winning, but now even when you win, people like you complain and criticize all the coaches and question everything. People like you who love to destroy people with your comments, I'm sure you never made any bad decisions. I'm sure you've lived a perfect life. I'm sure you've led a bunch of people. He then continued, I started as the lowest paid coach in the freaking business and I'm where I'm at because I worked my ass off every single day. Excuse my language. That was Dabo's words, not mine. 
and I'm not going to let some smart ass kid get on the phone and create this stuff. Woo! Dabo, you want to talk about fire? Dabo spitting fire. Tyler thought he was coming in on. Dabo came in 10 times hotter. Um, and it's crazy. It's crazy. That was the call. That was the back and forth. That was what happened. Um, and I want to dive into it, but this is one, I'll be honest, right? You know, sometimes people call me hot take Torres. People, you know, Torres comes in too hot. I actually see both sides to this one. I see Tyler's side. I see Dabo's side. The one thing I will say, it is indisputable at this point just how toxic that situation has gotten down there in Clemson and the fact that Dabo does have some tough things to answer for. Now, I will say, like, like I think the, the, the news cycle kind of played out as it always does. You see a little quote on Twitter. Everybody's crushing Dabo. But I do think when everybody kind of heard the whole context of everything, I actually think a lot of people came to Dabo's defense. And what I will say is, like, I, I think Dabo should be defended in some ways, right? One, but first of all, and I know this has been discussed a million times, the fact that we're still doing these coaches call-in shows, like, I understand they're contractually obligated. Just a crazy thing that we're still doing in 2023, especially in this angry, hostile world that we live in, where everybody likes to hide behind a computer screen or a phone or whatever. So one, it's crazy that we're doing it. But two, I saw a lot of people defend Dabble, and I'm going to defend him a little bit too. Thought for the most part, he actually handled himself reasonably well. Um, don't necessarily think that what he said was wrong. And I also think like context matters here. He is literally the greatest coach in the history of that school. And I think we could probably live another hundred years and he will probably be the greatest coach that they've ever had. Two national championships, a, a decade plus of complete dominance of the ACC, the best program in college football for a time, multiple college football playoff bursts in this era of the college football playoff. And so like, I, I do think there's a lot of people that are like, you know, you could criticize him for being four and four, but you're never going to find it. You know, if Dabo decided to, to leave for the NFL or retire tomorrow, you're never going to find anybody. You're, you're very almost certainly not going to find anybody better than him. So I understand that argument. I understand the Dabo defenders. Let me also do this, though. Tyler from Spartanburg, if you're listening, I actually don't think what Tyler from Spartanburg said was that far off. And the baseline question that he asked is, what are we paying you $11.5 million for to go four and four? And so, look, I get that it's a down year. I get that we are on the tail end of a decade of dominance that featured two national championships, probably about, you know, well over a half a dozen ACC titles, multiple college football playoff appearances. But you are paid a lot of money right now to win games. And I say this all the time when an athlete complains, especially a professional athlete, when you're paid a lot of money, right? It's it's like they say, to whom much is given, much is expected. You can talk about, you know, appreciating wins and appreciating this and appreciating that. You're paid $11 million to win football games. Lots of them. And you're not doing it right now. Beyond that with Dabo, and I think this is an important part. I think it'd be one thing if you lose because maybe the landscape changed, right? Like when Alabama was struggling, I don't think there was like a Nick Saban's, you know, vitriol in the in the air. It was like the landscape's changing. Texas is better. We might not be the best team in the SEC this year, whatever. Now Alabama has, has straightened things out going into LSU this weekend. But at the same time, why I bring it up is because with Clemson, it's different. With Clemson, you're not only losing in a manner in which you've never lost uh, in the last decade, but more importantly, some of it is self-sabotage. Some of it is self-sabotage from the perspective that Dabo, who is paid $11 million a year to do whatever it takes within the rules of the NCAA rulebook, if that thing even still exists, 
within the rules. He is paid $11 million a year to do whatever it takes to win at Clemson. And he's not doing whatever it takes, even within the rules. And we all know why. We all know what I'm talking about. I've talked about it a million times. It's the transfer portal. And listen, I've talked about this so much. I am not going to go through the whole thing again. But we know that Dabo is very anti-transfer portal and that essentially he hasn't used it. Now, he said they recruited a couple guys last year. It didn't work out. They committed elsewhere. But the bottom line is in an era where some schools, even if Colorado is the exception with 50, 60 new players, you have a lot of schools bringing in 8, 10, 12, even the good teams bring in 8, 10, 12 new guys through the portal every offseason. And so for Dabo to just decide I'm not doing it because I don't like it, it is leading to directly to losses and it is leading directly to frustration from people like Tyler who asks a basic question. Why are we paying you $11 million? And I think the question is fair because he has paid $11 million to do whatever it takes to win games. He is not doing it. He is being stubborn and he is sabotaging the program from within. And so I look at this and, and I've said this a million times, right? We can agree, like, like you can agree or disagree with rules and laws and changes and this and that. But at some point, what's the old saying? Either adapt or die, right? And I go back when I look at Dabo, just his refusal to really embrace the portal, to really embrace that this is where we are in college football. I go back to something that I've talked about before. But about three, four, five years ago, uh, John Calipari was asked about the transfer portal. And he didn't like it because one of his buddies, Bruiser Flint, who's now on his staff, lost his job because right before the season, a couple of his best players decided to transfer. So he said, I hate the transfer portal. And then he tried to fight it for a year or two. And then about three, four summers ago, he basically said, look, I still don't like the transfer portal, but my job isn't to make the rules. My job is to do what it takes to win games at Kentucky. I might not like it, but if it can help me win games, it's my responsibility to take advantage of that. And again, you could argue about John Calipari, this John Calipari, that as far as if he's actually producing at the level that he should be. But he had that stance. I don't like the portal, but I have to accept that this is where college sports is going. By the way, Nick Saban said the same thing when the portal came in. Uh, Tom Izzo has had very similar comments. Tom Izzo doesn't like the portal. Well, guess what? His best player this year, Tyson Walker, is a transfer. So I bring it up because this is where Clemson fans' frustrations are justified. It's not just that you're losing because the sports changed or there's a lot of injuries or something weird happened. This is all self-sabotage from within. This is all stubbornness from Dabo that could be changed and should be changed. And so I get it. And all I'll say is it is clear that that situation is toxic. Now, the best thing to fix a situation like that is to win, win some games. And I will say you got a great chance at home against Notre Dame. Want to prove the doubters wrong? This is a great week to do it when you play Notre Dame. We'll see if that happens. But there's no doubt that there's starting to become more and more friction between the fans and Dabo between Dabo's way of doing things before, how he's doing it now, and how maybe he should be doing it. And it is not very good. Now, the one thing I will say, if you think Dabo's going anywhere, think again. He even said it. Uh, uh, he had a Tuesday press conference after the Monday radio hit, and he basically said, I ain't going nowhere. Uh, I'll read you the quote. He said on Monday, let me find the quote here so I, I don't misquote Dabo here, our old buddy Dabo Sweeney. This is what he said on Monday. He said, I've got a long way to go in this profession. If they want me back here, I'm going to fight like crap to get this back to the standard. But I'm not going to let you steal my joy of what I do. So I bring it up because it is very clear to me that Dabo has dug his heels in. He ain't going nowhere. You like him, Tyler. You don't like him. I sort of understand where Tyler was coming from. 
But Dabo has no patience. And Dabo ain't that, that Dabo has no patience for your nonsense, Tyler. But Dabo ain't going anywhere. Quickly, before we get to the college football playoff rankings, there is one more update that I do think is very briefly worth discussing out of the Michigan case. Okay, so first of all, Michigan last week, it was utter chaos, right? Every single day there was a new story. It was buying Big Ten tickets. Then it was buying tickets to scout playoff opponents. It was the Connor Stallions manifesto story. Um, you know, it's the Washington poster. It was one after another, after another, after another. And it got to the point where you kind of like, I pretty much believe anything in this story because Connor Stallions is such a, how do I put it delicately? If you read the Sports Illustrated article, he's a very interesting character that very deeply cares about Michigan football. Reminds me of the old movie Back to School. Do you ever, anybody seen Back to School, the movie with Rodney Dangerfield? It's like 30 years old at this point, but he he's a rich guy, Thornton Mellon. And he goes back to college with his with his son when his son enrolls in college. They have a professor, Sam Kinison, the late great comic. The, the professor goes off on a rant. And Thornton Mellon, Rodney Dangerfield says, that man is very passionate about what? I have no idea. Well, that's kind of Connor Stallions. He's very passionate. There's no doubt about it. And in this case, it is uh, it is Michigan football. And so I bring it up because the latest story around Michigan in this world where I pretty much believe everything. Did you see the picture that emerged on social media late Monday into Tuesday? It came at the Central Michigan, Michigan State game earlier this year, week one, Friday of Labor Day weekend. Central Michigan. There just so happened to be a guy on the sidelines that looked an awful lot like Connor Stallions wearing Central Michigan gear. He had some sunglasses on. He had a Central Michigan hat. He had a Central Michigan shirt. And it sure did look like Connor Stallions. It's unbelievable. We have not gotten clarification. And it was funny because actually on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever day today is, I can't even keep up. Central Michigan actually had to release a statement saying, yeah, we're looking into this. And me, like a lot of the Internet, my first reaction was, I understand on a college football Saturday, there's a lot of people on the sidelines. But if you need to look into this, like, like there's only so many people like, like think about how paranoid coaches are. Think about how paranoid and you just have somebody on the sidelines that you can't identify. Give me a break. So it does not look good. Central Michigan is investigating. And the latest twist is was Connor Stallions dressed as a Central Michigan assistant on the Central Michigan sidelines during Central Michigan's game against Michigan State? Obviously, he would have been there to self to scout Michigan State in person. We will find out the answer in the coming days. We don't know for sure. And as I did last week when I talked about the the loose links between Michigan and South Carolina, I want to be very careful. Not accusing anybody of anything. That could be John, the, the, the student assistant. That could be Milt, the director of recruiting. I will just say it looked an awful lot like Connor Stallions. And bluntly, it would not surprise me at all if it was Connor Stallions. One, first of all, the timing just checks out, right? So so Connor Stallions clearly on game day was a very valuable commodity to Michigan football. We know that because we've seen the videos of him talking to the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, the former defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald. And so I bring it up because he's a very valuable commodity on game day. But this was a Friday night. Michigan did not play its opener until the following day. So could I see Connor Stallions on a Friday night off, remember, he's not an, a, a true assistant coach. He can't go on the road recruiting. Could I see him, you know, when all the other coaches are out recruiting, maybe slipping out, maybe sneaking out, maybe going and sitting on the Central Michigan sideline, 
buying a hat at the school store, buying a t-shirt at the school store. Yes, I absolutely could. Now, how he got there, how he got on the field, I have no freaking idea, but it doesn't change the fact that I absolutely a thousand percent believe that this is something that could have happened. Beyond that, you know why else I believe it? It's because the guy, like, not even like hyperbolic, guy loves Michigan football, but it's his life. I mean, he literally had a manifesto. It was, it was called the Michigan Manifesto. 500 pages, every detail, down to the science, recruiting, evaluating, how to build a team. Remember, that was the, the story that broke when, when we found out that he may have illegally obtained admissions records for Navy football players. So this guy's going to break Naval code to get admissions records for football players. But that can't possibly be him on the sidelines? I absolutely think so. And so it'll be interesting to see what the follow-up is here and if there is any way to confirm who it was. But this is just another crazy twist on another crazy story. But do I believe that a man who dedicated himself to Michigan, who had a 15-year plan for putting everything together so that he could be the Michigan head coach 15 years from now, he had a 500-page manifesto, do I believe that he could have been behind this? Oh, I absolutely believe it. I absolutely believe it. I absolutely do. Quickly, I you know, a couple other things. One, I will say, and we've talked, you know, I go so back and forth in my head. Do I believe in my heart of hearts that he acted alone? I don't. Of course not. $15,000 pool for sending assistance, not assistance, Michigan fans get mad when you say that, for sending people all over the country to scout games. Do I believe he was working alone? I don't. But this is kind of one of those examples where it does kind of feel like he was kind of going rogue a little bit, right? Because, you know, even if even if somebody else knew and somebody was kind of helping him out and all that, like if somebody heard he was going to the Central Michigan-Michigan State game and not buying a ticket in the stands, not using his iPhone from the stands, but standing on the sideline, that feels like something to me that somebody would have thrown their body in front of. So this is one where like, you know, the Michigan fans that are still like this guy acted alone. He was rogue. He was hiring his buddies. Nobody else in the building knew. Like, all I'll say is this is one that kind of helps your argument. So we'll see what happens. I don't believe he worked alone, but this is kind of one of those that you kind of just scratch your head and say, there's no way that anyone above him on the ladder approved him doing this. Uh, But do I believe it? A thousand percent. I mean, just who he is, what he's about. Again, he's very passionate about what I have no idea. In his case, Michigan football. Uh, So we will see what happens from here. I'll be interested just bluntly. um, Is this something they can confirm? I mean, I, I mean, you can confirm that we don't know who it was, I don't know if there's any way that they'll be able to. I mean, I guess there, there, there will be. There'll be ways to confirm it, whether it was him or not. But I'll be fascinated to see what happens. Finally, let me say this: Shout out Connor Stallions, man. Listen, I've been critical of this whole Michigan thing. It's not a good look, whatever. But this guy is so far above and beyond. I was texting our producer Matt here on this show, and I said, like, man, everybody needs a friend like Connor Stallions. Like that strikes me as the kind of guy get some stuff done. You're on, you're, you're on the side of the road, flat tire, middle of the night. He's there. You need uh, some clean urine, Connor Stallion's got you. He's just a guy that gets stuff done. A um, little different, for sure. But do I believe that he was at Central Michigan for the a millionth time? I absolutely do. All right, so what we're going to do, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We're going to come back. When we come back, we will react to the first college football playoff rankings. Quick break. Be right back. Bye. 
Thank you, everybody, as always, for your support of the Aaron Torres Pod and Aaron Torres Pod YouTube channel. And we have a major announcement as legal sports betting is now in the state of Kentucky. That is right. The Aaron Torres Pod and Aaron Torres Pod YouTube has partnered with DraftKings Sportsbook and the DraftKings Sportsbook app. And here is the best part. DraftKings has an incredible offer for listeners of the Aaron Torres Pod who are first-time customers with DraftKings. This is the deal. Here is what you need to know. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Bet $5 on any game, just $5, and you get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the promo code TORUS. That's right. It's that simple. Again, first-time customers, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Bet $5 on any game, pro, college, any sport you want, and get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the code TORUS. Thank you to our new partners, DraftKings Sportsbook. Thrilled to be working with them. Take advantage of their offer now. All right, everybody, I'm back. Going to be back, going to be back. I do want to switch gears, uh, and I do want to talk about the other big news in college football, and that is obviously the release of the first uh, college football playoff rankings. We talked about it on Monday's show. I know everybody knows the drill by now, but this is the time of year where that playoff committee gets together every week in Grapevine, Texas, and every Tuesday from now until the end of the season, they put out their top four as things stand right now. Last top four is obviously the four teams that will make the college football playoff. And so I do want to go ahead and, and react a little bit to the top four that was dropped on Tuesday night. And I'll say a couple things. One, first off, this is the poll of record, okay? AP poll doesn't matter. Coaches poll doesn't matter. This is the poll that matters. But I'll also say, like, I, I'm not going to react and overreact and yell and scream about this. Um, there's four, five, six more of these coming. And in in my head, I, I, I think you, you should be ranking teams based on who they are right now, where they could be, not where you expect them to be at the end or where you had them in the preseason. So let's get into it. My personal thought was that probably Georgia would be number one. I did think Ohio State would be number two, just based on the resume. Florida State three, Michigan four, Washington five, and Oregon six. Sort of got it correct because here is the official committee uh, decision. I I gave you what I thought it was going to be. Here is what it ended up being. Number one, Ohio State. Number two, Georgia. Number three, Michigan. Number four, Florida State. Number five, Washington. Number six, Oregon. Number seven, Texas. That one's interesting. We'll get to that one in a minute. Number eight, Alabama. Number nine, Oklahoma. Number 10, Ole Miss. You want to go beyond that, Penn State at number 11. So I want to dive in. Like I said, we're not going to overreact. I'm not going to yell and scream. I'm not going to go crazy. And let me start with Ohio State at number one. I don't think most people that have watched college football this year would argue that Ohio State is probably the best team in the country. But I think the committee did the right thing here by putting them at number one. You look at those two very good wins, those two very quality wins at Notre Dame, which is 15 in the first poll, Penn State at home, and they should be rewarded. Two fit top 15 wins, one on the road. They deserve to be number one based on what they've done on the field. Now, obviously, their toughest game in theory is ahead at Michigan, and we'll see if they can, you know, survive up until that point. And obviously, if they were to lose to Michigan, then I do think there is a scenario where they're really having a scrape and claw to get into that 14 playoff um, simply because there's there's going to be a, a probably a worthy Big, Te- Big 12 champ, probably a worthy Pac-12 champ, as well as the SEC. And in that case, Michigan would probably be your Big 10 representative as well. So Ohio State, I have no problem with them being number one. I haven't seen them as the best team, but I believe that based on merit, they probably should be number one. Second thing that I found interesting, and again, I'm not going to yell and scream and get super mad and all that stuff. 
But Texas at number seven, followed by Bama at eight, Oklahoma at nine is very interesting to me. Now, from the Texas perspective, I don't really have any real problem with it. That win at Alabama every single week gets better. You can argue that that might be the best win anybody has in college football at this particular moment in time. But at the same time, I do find it interesting. Texas at number seven, very clearly rewarded for winning at Bama as they should be. What's interesting about that, though? Who Who's at number nine? The Oklahoma Sooners who beat the Texas Longhorns. So basically, Texas is getting credit for the head-to-head win. Uh, Oklahoma is not. Now, the committee would tell you that Oklahoma just lost. They lost to a Kansas team that's on the fringes of the top 25, although Kansas was ranked. Um, and, and you you can make the argument that Texas is playing better um, than Oklahoma right now. I don't know that I believe that that's I, – I guess I would say Texas is probably playing better because they're not coming off a loss. But at the same time, they do have a backup quarterback. Um, and at the same time, it's kind of the weird spot where it's the only real one where Oklahoma is basically the only school that's being punished despite a head-to-head win. Washington ahead of Oregon. Washington has the head-to-head win, even though most of us expect, most of us think that Oregon's playing better football right now. Texas ahead of Alabama. Oklahoma behind Texas. That one is interesting to me. Just mentioned, I thought another interesting takeaway, not surprising. Washington over Oregon in the 5-6 spot. Washington comes in at number 5, Oregon at number 6. That's not really a surprise. Both these teams have uh, played very well. Um, Washington has the head-to-head win, but it is worth noting of late, Washington has really struggled. Last two games, they easily could have lost. Easily could have lost to Arizona State two weeks ago. Easily could have lost to Stanford last week. And they got a tough a tough one this weekend at USC. Do think it is interesting that overall six Pac-12 teams are currently in the top 25. Washington at five, Oregon at six. Uh, we have Oregon State at 16, UCLA or Utah at 18, UCLA at 19. So that is two, four, five. Uh, and then, so I guess it's only five. But the point, oh, and USC is in there somewhere too. USC is in at 20. So Washington, Oregon, uh, Oregon State, Utah, UCLA, Southern Cal. Okay. So it is worth noting there are a lot of really good teams, but it's also worth noting that a lot of those teams are going to play each other. Oregon's going to play Oregon State. Um, UCLA uh, has, uh, I think Oregon State has somebody else. I, I, can't, I can't remember all of it now, but the point is all those teams are going to pick up more losses. I'll be curious because this is the knock on the Pac-12. Generally don't have a lot of great wins in conference and out of conference. Right now, all those teams are ranked really high. All of those teams are worthy. We will see if that plays out that way. My only other real thought finally beyond this, I do think Florida State at number four is very interesting. We talked about to lead the segment, Ohio State being number one based on merit. I believe Ohio State deserves to be there. But Florida State, in my opinion, you know, they got a pretty solid resume. They beat LSU number 15 on a neutral, uh, number 14, excuse me, on a neutral field. Uh, and then you look at them beyond that, and they don't have any other wins over teams currently ranked, but it's not as though they have not played good football. It's not as though they haven't played good teams. Clemson's a good team. Duke obviously is on a two-game losing streak now, thanks to Florida State, but they were a ranked team when they played. And I'll be curious how the committee handles them going forward. I The thing that kind of stands out to me, them being at number four, with Washington and Oregon right behind them. This is kind of what I see the committee. I kind of see the wheels moving in the committee's head, okay? We've talked all year. What if we have five undefeated or one-loss conference champions? Now, pretty much every team, you know, the Big 12, everybody has at least a loss. Uh, Like, you kind of get the idea. 
What I do think is noteworthy on this is it does look like Florida State could end the year with just a single ranked win. Their toughest games left are against Miami and against Florida on the road. Neither of those teams will be ranked by the end of the year. And so I only bring it up because when I look at Florida State being at number four, already behind Michigan, what that says to me is this, is that if we do end up with a scenario with five zero or one loss conference champs, so say Georgia in the SEC, Michigan or or Ohio State in the Big Ten, um, Texas, Oklahoma in the Big 12, and of course, uh, whoever in the Pac-12, Oregon or Washington, I do think Florida State could be the team that's left out. Now, Florida State wins out. They go undefeated. They're not being left out as an undefeated conference champion. But you can see the wheels already starting to turn for a scenario in which if Florida State loses a game, they could be on the brink. I like Florida State. I think they're really good. But if I was Mike Norvell, I would make sure to keep winning because that's what stood out to me. Them already being behind Michigan. Now, look, they're not going to be behind the loser of Michigan, Ohio State, uh, if they went out or if they have one loss or one loss ACC champ. But if we get an, a one-loss Texas, a one-loss Bama, a one-loss Ohio State, uh, one-loss whatever, and Florida State has one loss, I could see them being left behind. All right, I think that's it for this segment. Like I said, just some quick reaction. Don't want to overdo it. Don't want to oversell it. Don't want to pretend like it's something more than it is because uh, we're going to have four or five more of these to react to, and we certainly will as time goes on. But the bottom line is uh, first college football playoff committee rankings are released, and that's Torres' take. Quick break. Be right back. And when we come back, We will talk a little bit of college hoops, okay? College hoops coming next week, and we are going to talk about some of those charity exhibition games. We're going to talk about uh, Cooper Flag committing to Duke and Kenny Payne, Louisville. What happened there? They lost to a D2 team on Wednesday night, Monday night. Take a quick break. Be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. Do want to go ahead and wrap a little bit of college hoops. Listen, I, I, I've mentioned it a few times, but it is coming. It starts next week. Uh, I've mentioned it again. Uh, uh, the College Hoops Daily Podcast. Zach Kroll works for me, hosts that show. He and I did some preview content. If you want the College Hoops stuff, SEC, Big East, ACC previews on that feed. We might do one or two more before the start of the season. Zach's done some solo stuff as well. Same time, though, I do want to get some college hoops from over the last couple days. A lot of great charity exhibitions that I want to talk about. Cooper Flag committed on Monday. We'll talk about that. But I would be remiss if I didn't start one place. And it's the last place in the world I thought I would start. It was the KFC Yum Center on Monday night. The Louisville Cardinals coming off a 4-28 and year last year. An absolute debacle, complete mess. They hosted Kentucky Wesleyan, okay? And it's funny because on that ACC preview pod with Zach, Zach and I spent a lot of time talking about Kenny Payne. And I, I asked Zach, I said, what is like, like what has to happen for Kenny Payne to keep his job? When you go four and 28, uh, you know, even a 10 win improvement is 14 and 17, well below 500, not making the NCAA tournament. And so I don't know what he's got to do to keep his job, but I don't think a 10 win improvement is going to be on the table. If Monday night was any indication as Louisville hosted Kentucky Wesleyan, I don't even know their last name, D2 school. Not even a good D2 school, mind you. Pick to finish eighth in their league. Kentucky Wesley goes into the Yum Center and wins 71-68. to 68. And what I would say, listen, well, I'm not going to spend too much time breaking down the box score. But when I look at this game, there is one thing that stands out. Louisville last year I don't think was very talented. But this year they did add talent. What would be concerning to me if I was a Louisville fan, besides the fact that I lost to Kentucky Wesleyan, 
is the fact that, that, that listen to these stats, okay? Kentucky Wesleyan out-rebounded Louisville by 14 rebounds, 47-33. Kentucky Wesleyan had 18 second-chance points. Louisville had two. That right there tells me everything because it's not rebounding second chance points. That's not about talent. That's not about skill. First of all, you should never get out rebounded if you're Louisville by a D2 school. But what that says to me is that this team, it's not, it's not the, the fixable things. It's not a talent thing. It is an effort thing. And that was the concern with Louisville a year ago. It wasn't just that they were bad. They just look so unprepared, so undisciplined, didn't know how to defend simple concepts. And you know, I'm not X's and O's guy, but this is getting bad. And I'll I'll just be blunt. Like, I don't think, I don't see the scenario where Kenny Payne survives this year. And I know it's only year two and he's an alum and it sounds crazy, but it feels to me like, like, I just don't think it's going to get much better. And so, like I said, even if you have a five, six, seven, eight game improvement, that's still 12 and 19, that's still 14 and 17. That's still somewhere in that range. And so you look at it, and in an improved ACC, I don't think they're going to get there. But even if they do, even if they have an, a six, seven, eight, ten game improvement, is that going to be good enough? I just don't think so. And so when I look at the Kenny Payne stuff, I don't root against anybody. As a matter of fact, I'd kind of like to see him succeed. One, it'd be good for Louisville. Two, it'd be good for college basketball. Three, I thought the hire made sense when it happened. So I'd kind of like to look smart by saying that the hire made sense when it happened, and it was a good hire. But when you lose to a D2 team at home, I think the scary part is like, this is the first time in front of fans, first time in front of fans, an opportunity for you to show your fans who you are, what you're about, you know, what you've been working on all off season to come out flat, unprepared. It's unacceptable. And it's going to be a long season for a little, I, I just don't think they're going to be good enough where Kenny Payne could be retained. Uh, and it feels like we're going to be doing another coaching carousel search at Louisville just two years after they got rid of Chris Mack. I know it sounds crazy. I know it's only year two, but that team is bad. You go four and 28 in year one, you go 10 and whatever in year two, you ain't coming back for year three. So we will see, but that is not a good start. Let's keep it going with a couple other uh, notes from the college hoop scene. And let's go to some positives. Let's go to the weekend and let's get to some of those charity exhibitions. And on Sunday show, Monday show, I kind of mentioned like, there were some charity exhibitions and they were awesome. And I probably should have just talked about them on Monday show. Shame on me. Slap on my wrist where Aaron was wrong. But I do want to get into a couple of the results from the weekend. Um, and let's start with like the, the huge one. Bud Walton Arena, 19,000 people for a charity exhibition against Purdue. We all remember Purdue. Number one seed in the NCAA tournament loses to Fairleigh Dickinson. But they're the Big Ten regular season champs. They're the, they were the Big Ten tournament champs. They returned five starters. And Arkansas pulls off the win, 81 to 77. First of all, let me say this in overtime, by the way. First of all, let me say this. These three charity exhibitions I'm going to talk about, I am here to tell you those teams were playing hard. Okay, so so like I'm not going to overanalyze, but anybody that's like, oh, you know, who cares? It's just an exhibition. I care because if you watch the games, it was clear that everybody was trying to win in those games. And so from the Arkansas perspective, I'll be honest, man, a couple things stand out about Arkansas. So one, first of all, this proves what I've been saying all offseason. I've seen a lot of people this offseason. Oh, my God, Torres, you're overrating Arkansas again. Here we go. They finished ninth in the SEC last year. I've seen smart people paid to cover college basketball say they were picked. They they finished ninth in the SEC. Will anyone acknowledge that Trevin Brazil, a lottery type talent, got hurt in December and never came back? Forget Nick Smith, who was also a first-round pick, injured, came back, got injured again, then came back again. 
But Trevin Brazil was the X factor. He was the difference maker. Everything fit when Trevin Brazil was on the court. And so when he goes down, it's a completely different thing. And I bring it up because he was phenomenal in this game. To me, he is the difference between Arkansas being the ninth best team in the SEC last year and probably finishing second or third, fourth, whatever, as they have the last couple of years. Beyond that, the other thing that stood out from the Arkansas side, that defense is really good. They forced 20 turnovers. I believe it was 11 or 12 steals. Um, And they're so big. They're so athletic. And sometimes with, with, with teams with a ton of new players, it takes a while to get guys figured out, but it also takes a while to get them to buy in. One thing I will say about this Arkansas team, last year it was very freshman oriented. Anthony Black, Jordan Walsh, and Nick Smith, who I just mentioned. This year it's a lot of older veteran guys. And the one thing you know about Eric Musselman, if you're not going to play defense, you're not going to stay on the court for him. So that defense was elite. That defense was excellent. They did a reasonably good job of slowing down Zach Eady, a very good job. As a matter of fact, I think he finished with 15 points. But those are the two things that stand out. This is a different team with Trevin Brazil, and those guards are really, really, really good. Uh, L. Ellis, ironically from Louisville. Caliph Battle, I heard his name is pronounced Caliph. I've been calling him Caliph all summer. Tremont Mark, that's the dude to me. That's the X-Factor elite uh, uh, wing defender. So Arkansas gets the win. Purdue takes the loss. Listen, I'm not going to do the overreact to Purdue thing, but I will say if you watch the game, they very clearly struggled with Arkansas's athleticism. And that is where to me, listen, I I say it every year, like, like they're, they're not athletic enough. And so I don't care how many guys they return. I've heard a lot of this. Well, maybe they have the same path as Virginia. Virginia lost as a one, as a one seed in the tournament one year, they get back the following year and they win the national championship. It ain't happening. I will, you know, name me a bet. If it was Purdue fans listening, name me a bet. You ain't winning the national championship because you're not good enough. You're not athletic enough. You don't have NBA players. You're built for the regular season. You're not built for the postseason. And so you go back to that Virginia team that won a national championship in 2019. They had three guys get drafted after that draft, including DeAndre, after that title, including DeAndre Hunter, who was a lottery pick. There's no lottery pick on Purdue. Zach Eady is maybe a second rounder. And so I just don't think they have enough. And I think it was confirmed this, this game. Don't want to discredit them for going on the road, for challenging themselves, for playing in a hostile environment. But 20 turnovers, they struggle with athleticism. They did not shoot the ball well. This has been their Achilles heel for years. And I think it's only going to continue this year. Listen, they should still be the favorite in the Big Ten. But I just don't see them as a team that will win six straight games in the NCAA tournament to win the national championship. Couple other results from the weekend. Uh, I got to talk about Tennessee and Michigan State. That was just an awesome, awesome, awesome game. Tennessee goes to Michigan State, another true road game, and Tennessee gets the win. How about this? Without Sakai Ziegler, without Santiago Vascovi, they're two starting guards in the backcourt. Things that stood out to Tennessee one, first of all, just to go into that environment, to do it, to handle all of that. And Michigan State's a good team, preseason top 10 team. I had them at like five or six. So for Michigan State, for Tennessee to do that, I am so impressed by them. Offensively, they look so much better. Dalton Connect, the transfer from North Northern Colorado, we talked about him a lot in the spring. He's that dude that they needed. Twenty plus points for him on the road at Michigan State. Sometimes when you get these guys that transfer up, it takes a minute. Doesn't feel like it took him very long. As Dalton Connect has a great game for Tennessee. But really with Tennessee, it was just the size, the athleticism. I know when Vescovi and Ziegler come back, it'll be a little bit different. But, you know, uh, Jemai Meshack as a 6'4", 6'5", guard, super athletic. 
Josiah Jordan James, who's there for a fifth year, uh, super athletic. Um, you know, at, at the rim, the guys there, super athletic. So Tennessee gets to win. Very impressed by that group. Listen, they, they were picked to win the preseason. They were picked in the SEC to win the preseason. Rightfully so. They're, in my opinion, the best team in the SEC going into this year. And credit to Rick Barnes. Credit to Tom Izzo for putting this game on. Really cool, really cool event. Same with Eric Musselman. Same with Matt Painter. But that was a fun atmosphere, a fun game. Tennessee was very impressive. Uh, by the way, Michigan State. No major takeaways. They, they're they're really good. I just think Tennessee is an excellent team. Like, um, I don't want to spoil anything for next week. I know Rick Barnes. Oh, he never makes the Final Four. He never does this. He never does that. Uh, he's he's a very good coach. And they're going to be very good this year. Um, and I think they're going to be better than maybe a lot of people realize. Really quickly, one other result. Illinois hosting Kansas. Why was this important? Not only was it a charity exhibition. Remember, where was Bill Self before he went to Kansas? He was the head coach of the Illinois Fighting Illini. So he returns to Illinois, um, and we got another great game. Illinois wins. They beat the preseason number one team in Kansas. I got to give credit where it's due. Illinois to me, and I said this when the AP poll came out, I said Illinois is the team that I think I wasn't high enough on in the summer. They bring back two really good veteran players, Coleman Hawkins and TJ Shannon, Terrence Shannon Jr., um, and both those guys balled out. Terrence Shannon had like 28, 29 points, something like that. Uh, Ty Rogers, a big guard. I think they need to establish the the point guard spot and they do that in that game from the Kansas perspective. Listen, I'm not going to overreact like I did it with Michigan state. Like I did it with Purdue, but I do think they have some deficiencies. I think their guards are good, but not great. Dewan Harris, great four-year point guard, but do they have enough on the wing? Kevin McCullough's good, but if Kevin McCullough was that good, he'd be in the NBA right now. Fifth year guy, fourth year guy, whatever he is. Um, I think he wants to be in the NBA. He's just not. And so if he was that good, he'd be in the NBA. Um, and I don't know if they have that that scoring pop on the wing to ultimately win the national championship. I said it last week. I would have had Duke number one, Kansas number two. Not going to discredit them. Hunter Dickinson is awesome. But I do worry a little bit about the guards as Kansas goes to Illinois and falls. Quickly, one last subject here on College Hoops before we get out of here. Um, and it is the long-awaited commitment of Cooper Flag, the number one high school player in America. On Monday morning, I think many of you woke up to it like I did. Cooper Flag, number one player in America, does commit to Duke. And so, uh, listen, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but a few of you have reached out to me privately, publicly, whatever. Well, I said, Torres, you said he was going to UConn. I never said he was going to UConn. What I said all along was that Duke was the favorite, and they should be. But I thought UConn made up more ground, and I thought UConn made a decision tougher for him. Um, and I thought, like, I, I thought they had a chance, but I never necessarily thought they got him. If I had a crystal ball, I would have put put it in for Duke. But give credit to Duke, man. Listen, I'll say this for John Shire: we, we can save the breaking down, analyzing his game. But you look at John Shire, and I remember when he was named the coach in waiting at Duke. I said at the time, this is where this is going to make where Aaron was wrong this week. But what I said about John Shire, I said, we'll see if he can coach, but I'm curious if he'll be able to recruit at the same level once Coach K leaves. But what I said was, you're not really going to be able to see the effects of his recruiting until the 2024 recruiting class. Remember, 2022 recruiting class, the one that he coached last year, um, they were all recruited while Coach K was still coaching and John Shire was the coach in waiting. The freshmen this year, all largely committed before John Shire ever coached a game. 
And so that 2024 class, I said, watch out. I said, because if John Shire isn't good, we'll see if he can keep that recruiting momentum going. Yeah, he's doing just fine. Cooper Flag is committed. They got another top 10 player in Isaiah Evans committed. Um, uh, Patrick Mbonga, a, a big man, is down to has Duke in his top three. Many believe they're the favorites there. And I think there's one other player I'm blanking on that they are in the mix for. So they're going to end up with the number one class in 2024. And I was just dead. You know what wrong on John Shire. He keeps the recruiting momentum going, but listen, we've talked enough about Cooper flag, incredible talent, skilled six, eight, six, nine can handle, can pass, can shoot elite defender, rim defender for a guy that's about six, eight, six, nine. He's going to be a really good college basketball player. Cannot wait to watch him even though it's going to be at Duke. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Do think it is time for me to get out of here. If you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube as well. Click that little button at the bottom of the screen as you see my hand come right at you here on a Wednesday morning. Make sure to click that button at the bottom of the screen if you're subscribed. Do me a favor, by the way. Go on Apple, leave a five-star rating and a review. Michigan fans weren't happy with me last week. They bombarded me with one-star reviews. Help a boy, help your boy out. Help your boy out on this. But I think that's all for today's show. By the way, thank you to our partners, DraftKings Sportsbook and the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Bet $5 on any game, get 200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the promo code Taurus. That is all for today's show. It is time for me to get out of here, and I appreciate everybody's support. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro. I will be back on Friday. And we got a loaded college football slate to discuss. Uh, USC, Washington, Bama, LSU, a lot to get into. I'll see you then.